Welcome back to the Book Club Commune with me, your host, Ivy Poesy. Today, we're going to be jumping into a new work, a very short work at that, that I like to call in historical materialism by Joseph Stalin. This work is even shorter than um, Economic Problems of Socialism USSR. It is only three chapters, four if you include the foreword, and it's only going to be two episodes long. This episode is including the foreword, chapter one, and chapter two. Next episode will only be chapter three, but that is because chapter three is about the same length of the foreword, chapter one, and chapter two combined. Even then, it's still at most 20 pages, so it's still not even that long. So I just thought, it's been a while since I've read this one, it's a good work, let's just read it while we're still discussing stock. And that's exactly what we're going to do. So sit in, sit down, strap in, and let's get into dialectical and historical materialism. Forward. Dialectical materialism is the world outlook of the Marxist-Leninist party. It is called dialectical materialism because its approach to the phenomena of nature, its method of studying and apprehending them, is dialectical while its interpretation of the phenomena of nature, its conception of these phenomena, its theory, is materialistic. Historical materialism is the extension of the principles of dialectical materialism to the study of the social life and application of the principles of dialectical materialism to the phenomena of the life of society, to the study of society, and of its history. When describing their dialectical method, Marx and Engels usually refer to Hegel as the philosopher who formulated the main features of of dialectics. This, however, does not mean that the dialectics of Marx and Engels is identical with the dialectics of Hegel. As a matter of fact, Marx and Engels Engels took from the Hegelian dialectics only its rational kernel, casting aside its Hegelian idealistic shell, and developed dialectics further, so as to lend to it a modern scientific form. My dialectical method, says Marx, is not only different from the Hegelian, but is its direct opposite. To Hegel, the process of thinking, which under the name of the idea, he even transforms into the, an independent subject, is the demiurgos creator of the real world, and the real world is only the external phenomena phenomenal form of the idea. With me, on the contrary, the idea is nothing else than the material world reflected by the human mind and translated into forms of thought. Marx, afterward to to the second German edition of volume one of Capital. When describing their materialism, Marx and Engels usually refer to to Feuerbach as the philosopher who restored materialism to its rights. This, however, does not mean that the materialism of Marx and Engels is identical with that of Feuerbach's materialism. As a matter of fact, Marx and Engels took from Feuerbach's materialism its inner kernel, developed it into a scientific philosophical theory of materialism, and it cast aside its idealistic and religious ethical encumbrances. We know that Feuerbach, although he was fundamentally a materialist, objected to the name materialism. Engels more than once declared that in spite of the materialist foundation, Feuerbach remained bound to the traditional idealist fetters, and that, 
The real idealism of Feuerbach becomes evident as soon as we come to his philosophy of religion and ethics. Dialectics comes from the Greek dialego. It's to discourse, to debate. In ancient times, dialectics was the art of arriving at the truth of, by disclosing the contradictions in the argument of an opponent and overcoming these contradictions. There were philosophers in ancient times who believed that the disclosure of contradictions in thought and the clash of the opposite opinions was the best method of arriving at the truth. This dialectical method of thought, later extended into the phenomena of nature, developed into the dialectical method of apprehending nature, which regards the phenomena of nature as being in constant movement and undergoing constant change, and the development of nature as a, the result of the development of the contradictions in nature, as the result of the interaction of opposed forces in nature. In its essence, dialectics is the direct opposite of metaphysics. Chapter 1. Marxist Dialectical Method The principal features of the Marxist dialectical method are as follows. A. Nature connected and determined. Contrary to metaphysics, dialectics does not regard nature as an accidental agglomeration of things, a phenomena unconnected with isolated from, and independent of each other, but as a connected and integral whole, in which things, phenomena, are organically connected with, dependent on, and determined by each other. The dialectical method therefore holds that no phenomena in nature can be understood if taken by itself, isolated from surrounding phenomena, inasmuch as any phenomena in any realm of nature may be meaningless to it us as if it is not considered in connection with the surrounding con conditions, but divorced from them, and that, vice versa, any phenomena can be understood and explained if considered in an, its un inseparable connection with surrounding phenomena, as one conditioned by surrounding phenomena. b. Nature is a state of continuous motion and change. Contrary to metaphysics, dialectics holds that nature is not a state of rest and immobility, stagnation and immutability, but a state of continuous movement and change, of continuous renewal and development. When something, where something is always arising and developing and something always disintegrating and dying away. The dialectical method therefore requires that phenomena should be considered not only from the standpoint of their interconnection and interdependence, but also from the standpoint of their movement, their change, their development, and their coming into being and going out of being. The dialectical method regards as important primarily that not that which at the given moment seems to be durable and yet is already beginning to die away, but that which is arising and developing, even though at the given moment it may appear to be not durable. For the dialectical meth method considers invincible only that which is arising and developing. All nature, says Ingalls, from the smallest thing to the biggest, from giants of sand to suns, from protista, the primary living cells, to man, has its existence an internal coming into being and going out of being in a ceaseless flux, in unresting motion and change. Therefore, dialectics, Engel says, takes things and their perceptual images, essentially in their interconnection, in their concatenation, in their movement, and in their rise and disappearance. 
C. Natural quantitative change leads to quanti qualitative change. Contrary to metaphysics, dialectics does not regard the process of development as a simple process of growth, where quantitative change does do not lead to qualitative changes, but as a development which passes from insignificant to imperceptible quantitative changes to open fundamental changes to qualitative changes. A development in which the qualitative changes occur not gradually, but rapidly and abruptly, taking the form of a leap from one state to another. They occur not accidentally, but as the nature, natural result of the accumulation of imperceptible and gradual qual quantitative changes. The dialectical method therefore holds that the process of development should not be understood should be understood not as a movement in this in a circle, not as a simple re repetition of what has already occurred, but as an onward and upward movement, as a transition from the old qualitative state to new qualitative state, as a development from the simple to the complex, from the lower to the higher. Nature, says Engels, is the test of dialectics and must be said for the modern sci natural science that it has furnished extremely rich and daily increasing materials for this test, and has thus proved that in, in the last analysis, nature's process is dialectical and not metaphysical, that it does not move in an internally uniform and constantly repeated cycle, circle, but it passes through a real history. Here, prime mention should be made of Darwin, who dealt a severe blow to the metaphysical conception of nature by proving that the organic world of today plants and animals. Consequentially, man too is all a product of the, a process of development that has been in progress for millions of years. Describing dialectical de development as a transition from quantitative changes to qualitative changes, Engels says, in physics, every change is of a passing of quantity into quality as a result of quantitative change of some form of movement either inherent in a body or imparted to it. For example, the temperature of water has at first no effect on its liquid state. But as the temperature of liquid water rises or falls, a moment arise, arrives when this state of cohesion changes and the water is converted in one case into steam and the other into ice. A definite minimum current is required to make a platinum wire glow. Every metal has its melting temperature. Every liquid has its definite freezing point and boiling point in a given pressure. As far as we are able with the means at our disposal to attain the required temperatures. Finally, every gas has a critical point which, by proper pressure and cooling, it can be converted into a liquid state. What are known as the constants of physics, the point at which one state passes into another, are in most cases nothing but designations for the nodal points which a quantitative change, increase or decrease of movement, causes a qualitative change in the state of a given body, and at which, consequentially, quantity is transformed into quality. Passing to chemistry, Engels continues. Chemistry may be called the science of qualitative change, which takes place in bodies as the effect of changes of quantitative composition. His was already his was already known to Hegel. Take oxygen. If two molecule can molecule, if the molecule contains three atoms instead of the customary two, we get ozone. A body definite, distinct in odor and reaction from ordinary oxygen. 
and what shall we say of the different proportions in which oxygen combines with nitrogen or sulfur, and each which produces a body qualitatively different from all other bodies? Finally, criticizing During, who scolded Hegel for all he was worth, but, but surreptitiously borrowed from him for the well-known thesis that the transition from the insentient world to the sentient world, from the kingdom of inorganic matter to the kingdom of organic matter, is a leap to a new state. Ingalls says, This is precisely the Hegelian nodal line of measure relations which at certain definite nodal points the purely quantitative increase or decrease gives rise to a qualitative leap. For example, in the case of water, which is heated or cooled, where boiling point and freezing point are the nodes at which, under normal pressure, the leap to a new aggregate state takes place, where consequentially quantity is transformed into quality. D. Contradictions inherent in nature. Contradictory to metaphysics, dialectics holds that internal contradictions are inherent in all things and phenomena of nature, for they all have their negative and positive sides, a past and a future. Something dying away and something developing, and that the struggle between these opposites, the struggle between the old and the new, between that which is dying away and that which is being born, between that which is disappearing and that which is developing, constitutes the internal content of the process of development to the, the internal content of the transformation and quantitative changes into qualitative changes. The dialectical method therefore holds that the process of development from the lower to the higher takes place not as a harmonious unfolding of phenomena, but as a disclosure of the contradictions inherent in things and phenomena, as a struggle of opposite tendencies, which operate on the basis of these contradictions. In its proper meaning, Lenin says, dialectics is the study of the contradiction within the very essence of things. Lenin, Philosophical Notebooks, page 265. And further, development is the struggle of opposites. Such, in brief, are the principal features of Marx's dialectical method. It is easy to understand how immensely important is the extension of the principles of the dialectical method to the study of social life and the history of society, and how immensely important is the application of these principles to the history of society and to the practical activities of the party of the proletariat. If there are no isolated phenomena in the world, if all phenomena are interconnected interdependent, then it is clear that every social system and every social movement in history must be evaluated not from the standpoint of eternal justice or some other preconceived idea, as is not infrequently done by historians, but from the standpoint of the conditions which gave rise to the system of social movement and, which, and with which they are connected. The slave system would be senseless, stupid, and unnatural under modern conditions. But under the conditions of a disintegrating primitive communal system, the slave system is a quite understandable and natural phenomenon, since it represents an advance in the primitive communal system. The demand for bourgeois democratic republic, when Tsardom and bourgeois society existed, as let us say in Russia in 1905, was a quite understandable, proper, and revolutionary demand, for at that time a bourgeois republic would have meant a step forward, but now under the conditions of a USSR, the demand for a bourgeois democratic republic would be a senseless and counter-revolutionary demand, for a bourgeois republic would be a retrograde step compared with the Soviet republic. 
Everything depends on the conditions, time, and place. It is clear that without a, such a historical approach to the social phenomena, the existence and development of science of history is impossible. For only such an approach saves the science of history from becoming a jumble of accidents and an agglomeration of the most absurd mistakes. Further, if the world is in a state of constant movement and the development if the dying away of the old and upgrowth of the new is the law is a law of development, then it is clear that there can be no immutable social systems, no eternal principles of private property and exploitation, no eternal ideas of the subjugation of the peasant to the landlord, of the worker to the capitalist. Hence, the capitalist system can be replaced by the social system, just as at one time the feudal system was replaced by the capitalist system. Hence, we must no longer we must not base our orientation on the strata of society, which are no longer developing, even though they at present constitute the predominant force, but those but on those strata which are developing and have further and have a future before them, even though they at present do not constitute the predominant force. In the 80s of the past century, in the period of the struggle between the Marxists and the Narodniks, the proletariat in Russia constituted an insignificant minority of the population, whereas the individual peasants constituted the vast majority of the population. But the proletariat was developing as a class, whereas the peasantry as a class was disintegrating. And just because the proletariat was developing as a class, and the Marx as a class, the Marxists based their orientation on the proletariat, and they were not, not mistaken, for as we, know, as we know, the proletariat subsequently grew from an insignificant force into a first-rate historical and political force. Hence, the transition from capitalism to socialism and the liberation of the working class from the yoke of capitalism cannot be affected by slow changes, by reforms, but only by a qualitative change of the capitalist system by revolution. Hence, in order not to err in policy, one must be a revolutionary, not a reformist. Further, if development proceeds by way of disclosure of internal contradictions, by way of collisions between opposite forces on the basis of these contradictions, and as, so as to overcome these contradictions, then it is clear that the class struggle of the proletariat is a quite natural and inevitable phenomenon. Hence, we must not cover up the contradictions of the capitalist system, but disclose and unravel them. We must not try and check the class struggle, but carry it to its conclusion. Hence, in order not to err in policy, one must pursue an uncompromising proletarian class policy, not a reformist policy of harmony of, in of the interests of the proletariat and the bourgeoisie, not a compromiser's policy of gro the growing of capitalism into socialism. Such is, a is the Marxist dialectical method when applied to the social life, of, to the history of society. As to Marxist philosophical materialism, it is fundamentally the direct opposite of philosophical idealism. Chapter 2. Marxist Philosophical Materialism The principal features of Marxist philosophical materialism are as follows. A. Materialist. Contrary to idealism, which regards the whole world as the embodiment of an absolute idea, a universal spirit, consciousness, Marx's philosophical materialism holds that the world is by its very nature material, that the multifold phenomena of the world constitutes different forms of matter in motion, 
that interconnected and interdependence of phenomena as established by the dialectical method are a law of the development of moving matter and that the world develops in accordance with the laws of movement of matter and stands in no need of a universal spirit. The materialist, the materialistic outlook on nature, says Engels, means no more than simply conceiving nature just as it exists without any foreign admixture. Speaking of the materialist views of the ancient philosopher uh, Heraclitus, who held that the world, the all-in-one, was not created by any god or any man, but was, is, and ever will be a living flame, systematically flaring up and systematically dying down. Lenin comments, a very good exposition of the rudiments of dialectical materialism. B. Objective reality. Contrary to idealism, which asserts that only our consciousness really exists, and that the material world, being nature, exists only in our consciousness and our sensations, ideas and perceptions, the Marxist philosophical materialism holds that nature, matter, being, is an objective reality, existing outside and independent of our consciousness, that matter is primarily is primary, since it is the source of sensations, ideas, consciousness, and that consciousness is secondary, derivative, since it is a reflection of matter, a reflection of being, that thought is a product of matter, which in its development has reached a height degree, a high degree of perfection, namely of the brain, and the brain is the organ of thought, and that therefore one cannot separate thought from matter without committing a grave error. Engel says the question of the relation of thinking to being and relation of spirit to nature is the paramount question of the whole of philosophy. The answers which the philosophers gave to this question split them into two great camps. Those who asserted that the primacy of spirit to nature comprised the camp of idealism. The others who regarded nature as primary belonged to the various schools of materialism. Marx Selected Works, Volume 1, page 329. And further, the material sens sensuously precipitable world to which we ourselves belong is the only reality. Our consciousness and thinking, however, supersensuous they may seem, are the product of a material, bodily organ, the brain. Matter is not a product of the mind, but mind itself is merely the highest product of matter. Concerning the question of matter and thought, Marx says, It is impossible to separate thought from matter that thinks. Matter is the subject of all changes. Describing the Marxist philosophical materialism, Lenin says, Materialism in general recognizes objectively real matter, being as independent of consciousness, sensation, experience. Consciousness is only the reflection of being, at best an approximately true, adequate, perfectly exact reflection of it. And further, matter is that which acting upon our sense organs produces sensations. Matter is the objective reality given to us in sensation. Matter, nature, being, the physical, is the primary, and spirit, consciousness, sensation, the psychical, secondary. The world picture is a picture of how matter moves and how matter thinks. The brain is the organ of thought. C. 
the world and its laws are knowable. Contrary to idealism, which denies the possibility of knowing the world and its laws, which does not believe in the authenticity of our knowledge, does not recognize objective truth, and holds that the world is full of things in themselves. That can never be known to science. Marxist philosophical materialism holds that the world and its laws are fully knowable, that our knowledge of laws of nature, tested by experiment and practice, is authentic knowledge, having the validity of objective truth, and that there are no things in the world which are unknowable, but only things which are as yet not known, but which will be disclosed and made known by the effort of science and practice. Criticizing the thesis of Kant and other idealists, that the world is unknowable and that things are there are things in themselves which are unknowable, and offending the well-known materialist thesis that our knowledge is authentic knowledge, Engels writes, the most telling refutation of this, as all other philosophical crochets, is practice, namely experiment and industry. If we are able to prove the correctness of our conception of a natural process of, by making it ourselves, bringing it into being out of its conditions and making it serve our own purposes the, into the bargain, then there is an end to the Kantian ungraspable thing in itself. The chemical substances produced in the bodies of plants and animals remained such things in themselves until organic chemistry began to produce them one after another, whereupon the thing in itself became a thing for us. For instance, alizarin, the coloring matter, the coloring matter of the matter, which we no longer trouble to grow ill, the matter roots in the field, but produce much more cheaply and simply from coal tar. For 300 years, the Copernican solar system was a hypothesis with a hundred or thousand or ten thousand enhances to one in its favor. But still, always a hypothesis. But when Leverrier, by means of data provided by the system, not only deduced the necessity of the existence of an unknown planet, but also calculated the position in the heavens which this planet must necessarily occupy, and when Galley really found this planet, the Copernican system was proved. Marx, Selected Works, Volume 1, page 330. Accusing Bogdanov, Bazarov, Yushkevich, and the other followers of Machafidism, a reactionary theory which refers faith to science, and defending the well-known materialist thesis that our, our scientific knowledge of the laws of nature is authentic knowledge, and that the laws of scientific of science represent objective truth, Lenin says, contemporary fideism does not reject all science. All it rejects is the exaggerated claims of science, to wit, its claim to objective truth. If objective truth exists, as the other materialists think, if natural science reflecting the outer world in human experience is alone capable of giving us objective truth, then all fideism is absolutely refuted. And such in brief are the, material, are the characteristic features of the Marxist philosophical materialism. It is easy to understand how immensely important is the extension of the principles of philosophical materialism to the study of social life, of the history of society, and how immensely important is the application of these principles to the history of society and to the practical activities of the party of the proletariat.
If the connection between the phenomena of nature and their interdependence are laws of the development of nature, it follows too that the connection of interdependence of the phenomena of social life are laws of development of society and not something accidental. Hence, social life, the history of society, ceases to be an agglomeration of accidents, for the history of society becomes a development of society according to regular laws, and the study of history of society becomes a science. Hence, the practical activity of the party must of the proletariat must not be based of the good wishes of the outstanding individuals, not on the dict not on the dictates of reason, universal morals, etc., but on the laws of development of society and on the study of these laws. Further, if the world is knowable, then our knowledge of these laws of development of nature is authentic knowledge. Having the validity of the objective truth, it follows that social life, the development of society, is also knowable, and that data of scientific science regarding the laws of development of society are authentic, having the validity of objective truths. Hence, the science of history of society, despite all the complexity of the phenomena of social life, can become as precise as science a science as, let us say, biology, and capable of making use of the laws of development of society for practical purposes. Hence, the party of the proletariat should not guide itself in its practical activity by casual motives, but by the laws of development of society and by practical deductions by the, of, these, of these laws. Hence, socialism is converted from a dream of a better future for, of, for humanity into a science. Hence, the bond between science and practical activity, between theory and practice, their unity should be the guiding star of the party of the proletariat. Further, if nature, being the material world, is primary and conscious thought, secondary, derivative, if the material world represents objective reality, existing independently of the consciousness of men, while the consciousness is a reflection of this objective reality, it follows the material life of society is also its being is also primary and its spiritual life secondary derivative and that the material life of society is an objective reality existing independently of the will of men while the spiritual life of society is a reflection of the subjective reality a reflection of being hence the source of formation of the spiritual life of the society the origin of so social ideas social theories political views a political and political institution should not be sought for in the ideas theories views and political institutions themselves but in the conditions of the material life of society and social being of which these ideas theories views etc are the reflection hence if in Different periods of history of society, different social ideas, theories, views, and political institutions are to be observed. If under the slave system we encountered certain social ideas, theories, views, and political institutions, and under feudalism others, and under capitalism others still, this is not to be explained by nature, the properties of the ideas, theories, views, and political institutions themselves, but by the different conditions of the material life of society at different periods of social development. Whatever is the being of a society, whatever are the conditions of material life of a society, such are the ideas, theories, 
political views, and political institutions of that society. In this connection, Marx says, it is not the consciousness of men that determines their being, but on the contrary, their social being that determines their consciousness. Hence, in order not to err in policy, in order not to find itself in the position of idle dreamers, the party of the proletariat must not base its activities in on abstract principles of human reason, but on concrete conditions of the material life of society as the determining force of social development, not on the good wishes of great men, but on the real needs of development of the material life of society. The fall of the utopians, including the Narodinics, anarchists, so socialist revolutionaries, was all due, among others, among other things, to the fact that they did not recognize the primary role which the conditions of the material life of society play in the development of society, and sinking to idealism did not base their practical activities on the needs of development of the material life of society, but independently of and in spite of these needs, on ideal plans and all-embracing projects, divorced from the real life of society. The strength and vitality of Marxism and Leninism lies in the fact that it does base its practical activity on the needs of development of material life society and never divorces itself from the real life of society. It does not follow that Marx's words, however, that social ideas, theories, political views, and political institutions are of no significance in the life of society, that they do not reci reciprocally affect social being, the, the development of the material conditions of the life of society. We have been speaking so far of the origin of social ideas, theories, views, and political institutions of the way they arise of the fact of the spiritual life of society as a reflection of the conditions of its material life as regards the significance of social ideas, theories, views, and political institutions. As regards their role in history, historical materialism, far from denying them, stresses the important role and significance of these factors in the life of society in its history. There are different kinds of social ideas and theories. There are old ideas and theories which have outlived their day and which serve the interest of more abundant forces of society. Their significance lies in the fact that they hamper the development of progress of society. Then there are new and advanced ideas and theories which serve the interests of the advanced forces of society. Their significance lies in the fact that they facilitate the development of pro the, the progress of society. And their significance is the greater, the more accurately they reflect the needs and development of the material life of society. New social ideas and theories arise only after the development of the material life of society has set new tasks before society. But once they have arisen, they become a most potent force which facilitates the carrying out of the new tasks set by the development of the material life of society, a force which facilitates the progress of society. It is precisely here that the tremendous organizing and mobilizing and transforming value of new ideas, new theories, new political views, and new political institutions manifest itself. New social ideas and theories arise precisely because they are necessary to society, because it is impossible to carry out the urgent task of, of development of the material life of society without their organizing, mobilizing, and transforming action. Arising out of society, 
arising out of the new tasks even, set by the development of the material life of society, the new social ideas and theories forced their way through, become the possession of the masses, masses, mobilizes and organizes them against the moribund forces of old society, and thus facilitate the overthrow of these forces, which hamper the development of the material life of society. Such social ideas, theories, political and political institutions, having arisen on the basis of the urgent task of the development of the material life of society, the development of a social being, themselves then react upon social beings, upon the material life of society, creating the conditions necessary for completely carrying out the urgent task of the material life of society, for rendering its further development possible. In this connection, Marx says, theory becomes a material force as soon as it has gripped the masses. Hence, in order to be able to influence the condition of material life of society, to accelerate their development, their improvement, the party of the proletariat must rely upon such a social theory, such a social idea as correctly reflects the needs of development of the material life of society and which is therefore capable of setting into motion broad masses of people and of mobilizing them and organizing them into a great army of the proletarian party, prepared to smash the reactionary forces and to clear the way for economic forces of society. The fault of the economists and the Mensheviks was due, among other things, to the fact that they did not recognize the mobilizing, organizing, and transforming role of advanced theory, of advanced ideas, and sinking to vulgar materialism, reduced to the role of these factors almost to nothing, thus condemning the party to passivity and inanition. The strength and vitality of Marxism-Leninism is derived from the fact that it relies upon an advanced theory which correctly reflects the needs of development of the material life of society, that it elevates theory to a proper level, and that it deems it deems it its duty to utilize every ounce of the mobilizing, organizing, and transformed power, transforming power of this theory. That is the answer historical materialism gives to the question of the relation between social being and social consciousness, between the conditions of development of material life and the development of spiritual life of society. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Book Club Commune. And in case you're wondering, the edition that I'm reading of is printed by Prism Key Press in 2013. Uh, I got this off the internet. I'm not 100% sure where I got it off of, but that's my edition of it. It's the one I've read for two, three years now. So that's, that's just where I'm reading from. Um, it's also an old book that I've underlined to hell. So a lot of like the stuttering and mistakes I have reading it is me trying to figure out what the hell some of these words say because I've underlined it in just an awful way. Anyways, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. It's very quote heavy. Uh, He very much relies on quoting Marx, Engels, and Lenin a lot, which I think gives uh, credence to this work and its importance. But anyways, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Um, Next episode, we'll be reading chapter three. Um, which is, if I'm not mistaken, historical materialism. So chapter three is entitled Historical Materialism, and we'll be all about historical materialism. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please like and share. 
Solidarity forever and keep on reading.